welcome to the sermon podcast of Redeemer Anglican Church of Franklin, Pennsylvania. Through every sermon, we hope that you are encouraged by the Word of God and the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. To find out more about our church, visit our website at franklinredeemer.org. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, please be seated. So we're starting a new sermon series on finding true rest. And as I've been kind of praying through and, and working through this series and this idea, um, a, uh, an economist came to mind that I had read about many years ago. I'm not quite sure why I read about him because I don't generally study economists um, or any of their ilk. But there was a guy in 1928. He was a British mathematician and economist. His, His name was John Maynard Keynes. And he wrote a radical but real quite influential essay called Economic Possibilities for Our Grandchildren. What he argued in that essay was that a hundred years later, that once his grandchildren would be fully grown, which would put it at 2028, that many would have to only work a three-hour work week. And the normative work week for the, for the industrialized Western world in Europe and America would be 15 hours a week. And that would be the standard. And that the majority of his grandchildren's life would be trying to figure out what to do with all of this leisure and relaxation time. See, what Maynard thought was that with increased productivity and the rapid increase of technology that he has, had witnessed and that it would just perpetuate itself, the production would be so great and so efficient. And in that, the wealth that would be created and compounded would be so exponential that there wouldn't really be much need to work long hours. We'd be free to relax. If our technology would create maybe a time machine, it would make me want to go back and put my arm around poor Maynard. Like, here, here, buddy. Don't finish the essay. But it wasn't like he was a kook. He wasn't just like a whack job. He was actually quite brilliant and influential in a lot of other ways. But his essay, his thinking, was not just to him, but many followed after. Actually, in 1965, a U.S. Senate subcommittee, and you know if it's a U.S. Senate subcommittee, they rarely err. But in, in 1965, they studied and researched and predicted that by 2000, 28 years earlier than Maynard's prediction, a 14-hour work week would be standard for all Americans.
See, the problem was that, not that Maynard was a bad economist. I mean, his prediction of our ability to produce with efficiency and the growth of, of total wealth, of GDP in, in these nations, actually came about somewhat how he predicted it to be. Maynard just had poor anthropology. He didn't understand what was truly exceptional about the human species. Because we have a great capacity, much creativity, in finding new sources for anxiety, stress, and burden. But to be fair to Maynard, he was concerned because as he predicted this world where many would be working three-hour work weeks, most would be working 15-hour work weeks, that there might be a crisis in society as people begin filled with anxiety to try to figure out what to do with all that leisure and all that free time. So we find us here today, six years away from John Maynard's predicted 15-hour work week. And if you do a quick scan of popular level articles and research journals, you'll find essay after essay after essay, not filled with concern about how people are navigating all of their current free time and leisure, but instead the growing concern about the rapid increase of burnout, stress, and exhaustion in American society. In some of my research and preparing for this in the series, I, a phrase kept coming up in these articles that spoke of a looming great American burnout. See, the thing is, is technological advancements exponentially increased our ability to do more, consume more, and to know more. But instead of diminishing the burdens created, creating greater space for rest and relaxation, our technology has simply moved the bar higher, increasing what we must do, what we must produce, what we must own, what we must know to justify our value and provide a sense of security and significance within our society. But see, the real problem is that increasing wealth and reducing labor would not provide the rest that we long for, even if Maynard was right with regard to technology. What the U.S. Senate subcommittee predicted. I mean, in our minds, we often think of the cessation of work as equating to rest. But we all know in practice that's not true. I mean, true rest. I mean, there's that common refrain when people go on vacation. I mean, first, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's amazing. Here, go to my Instagram page, look at all the food I took pictures of. Like, look at all of these different things and how wonderful it was, but then at the end of it, then you have that refrain, I've said it, you've heard it, after this vacation, I need a vacation. Rarely rested. And you know this to be true if you've ever been laid off. In between work, unemployed. I've never met anybody and I've never had that season in my life where it's like, you know what, that six months of unemployment, 
man, I feel so rested. I so feel so at peace in my soul. No. Even the cessation of work and having no work to do is exhausting. See, the thing is, is whether you find yourself parents with small children exhausted because you're keeping up with work in the home and you're doing it on two hours of sleep and no free time, if you're a single parent who's trying to make it through, a college student who is trying to have it all and having classes but also being involved in every organization, but then also you don't want to miss out on the experience of college. And you have all of those things going on, starting out a new career or retired. Whether you're a wealthy trust fund kid that has inherited so much money that you don't need to work and you don't know what to do with it. I don't think that's any of you in here, is it? Because right. if it is, I want to direct you to the back of the bulletin. It says how to give to the church. Um, I kid, unless there is somebody here. But um, see, it kind of doesn't matter because you're going to likely find yourself longing, hungering for true abiding rest. And when you heard those words of Jesus that we just read, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. I like how the NRS translated, translated, come to me all who are weary and carrying heavy burdens. It's a good chance that most of us, regardless of our life stage, hear that and something inside of that uh, says, he's speaking to me. So regardless of where you are at life or the number of open slots in your calendar, the majority here, but statistics show and, and bear out and experience shows that the majority outside these walls are in deep need for true rest. The kind of rest that Jesus speaks of, a rest for our souls that our souls long for but cannot be found in frequent vacations or hiring a life coach to try to create better margins in our life. So over the next couple of months leading into Advent, I want to spend some time unpacking this promise of Christ, the promise of true rest looking at how we can find this true rest for our souls, the true rest that our bodies and minds need as well. By looking at numerous different passages and biblical themes that reveal the gospel principles and practices that enable us to live into the rest that Jesus claims is already ours. So because this is an introduction, I, I, I wanted to kind of lay out the series. And, and for today, I just want to briefly touch on two key areas in this passage that are revealed. And, and next week, I want to dive more deeply into the passage. But I want to look 
at what the cause of our issue is and the solution for our lack of true rest as is revealed in this passage. So first, the cause of our issue. It's interesting, within this passage, you have Jesus making two parallel statements. Very similar, but also in many ways, very differently. He says, he says come, receive my yoke. And then he kind of goes back and reiterates this thing by saying, come to me and receive rest. But what's interesting is if you're listening to this and you know about yokes, if you're within that type of culture in the first century, receiving a yoke and receiving rest are not two things that should go together. In the first century, through many centuries until a modern tractor, everybody knew what a yoke was. A yoke was, was a large, usually wooden board that then had some form of attaching like an oxen to it and you would then be the oxen would be have that placed over their shoulders and then they would be bound together and that would be used to carry hard, heavy heavy weights in a cart that is behind them but if you know what the purpose of a yoke is if you want to give oxen rest you don't put a yoke on them you take a yoke off of them that's what you do when it's time to rest your oxen. And one thing to note is that when we read this, it seems as if, it's as, as if Jesus is trying to put a yoke on unyoked people. But in reality, it's inferring the idea that he's replacing the yoke that the people already carry with a new yoke, which is one that Jesus has fashioned. See, because, see, as, as modern Western people, not all of us, but most of us like to view ourselves as, as free-range free animals. Free and in the wild. That we go and come as we please, however we would want to. But we definitely never would picture ourselves as domesticated animals who have been trained to serve the agenda of others and are bound by a yoke. But for the first century Jew, they all understood that everybody carries a yoke. The imagery of the yoke is used frequently throughout the Old Testament, actually usually in a negative connotation, talking about the yoke of corrupt governments and leaders. In 1 Kings, it talks about the people being crushed under the yoke of taxes that were exorbitant. And then in the rabbinic tradition, that, that imagery of yoke was used frequently, but it kind of drew a contrast, and in, in, in especially the 200 years leading up to the time of Jesus. Because within the rabbinic te- uh, tradition, there was this idea and teaching that all are yoked, and you are either going to be yoked to Torah, to the law of God, or you will be yoked to the rulers, to the world, to the corrupt governments over you. I'm going to butcher this name, but in the Pirki Avit, translated the chapters of our fathers, which is a compilation of rabbinic teachings that span the 200 years leading up to Jesus, it writes this, whoever takes upon himself the yoke of the Torah 
They remove from him the yoke of government and the yoke of worldly concerns. And whoever breaks off the yoke of the Torah, they place on him the yoke of government and the yoke of worldly concerns. The Pharisees in the time of Jesus continued this mentality mindset. Because for them, the solution of freedom from Roman oppression, the yoke of those overlords that were master to them, was to put upon the shoulders of the people the yoke of Torah. That they would step out of conformity and obedience to the world and fall back in line with perfect obedience to God's law. And we see in Jesus' ministry, he frequently attacked them for that very thing. Famously, and elsewhere in, in, in Matthew, Jesus says, attacks the Pharisees, and says that they tie up heavy burdens and place them on their shoulders. That's yoke language that he was using. And when Jesus then says, come to me all who are weary, carrying heavy burdens, that language itself is yoke language. He's essentially saying, come to me, everyone, with the yoke you carry but are unable to bear. Regardless of whether that yoke comes from the world or from the law. And the thing is, is that the call is for all people. It's not just for those who find themselves in a particularly stressful situation. It's a call to the lottery winner who just came back from a six-month cruise. It's a call also to the retiree who's down in Boca Raton following the monastic liturgy of morning golf and two o'clock mojitos. It's a call to all people because the yoke Jesus speaks of is far more crushing and goes far deeper than the momentary business of one's work life or lack of margins and balance. See, in Jesus, in Matthew 23, when he condemns the Pharisees for the yoke that they place upon the people's shoulders, he prefaces it by saying, don't be like the Pharisees, but do the things they do. Or do the things they say. Why does he say that? Because the issue was not God's commands, but the yoke that came with it. He's not saying that we are no longer to strive to live as God has designed us to do so. That's not what he's saying the yoke is. It's what, what comes with it. The yoke is the crushing weight and burden of self-justification. The need to create value, to create security, to create identity, to be able to have a place within a community, to have acceptance and to have welcoming, to have all of these different things. That is the yoke that comes with the law. St. Paul argues that the law is good, but the law also crushes us because the law reveals our rebellion. 
And through the law, we realize our fallen inability to make ourselves into what we ought to be. When Jesus calls to those who are heavy laden, those who are burdened, those who are incapable of rest, he's calling out to every person regardless of the current rhythms in their schedule. He's calling out because we all bear a yoke of haunting judgment, self-justification, and striving to cover up our ineptitude and inability to be what we frantically strive to appear to be or what we've been domesticated to believe we need to be. And this same yoke can take on sacred and secular forms. So a little bit about the cause of our issue. And I'm going to just briefly mention the solution because the rest of this series is going to actually focus on how we actually live into this reality, how it fleshes out. The solution is kind of simple because when he speaks of the yoke and when he speaks of receiving rest, receiving both things, both either infer or directly call out, come to me. Not a set of instructions, some form of law light that we can have a semblance of keeping. Not a list of self-care practices. Just a call to come to Jesus. And that's what we get. And he says, take on my yoke. Actually, the Greek can also be rendered... Take on the yoke of me. I actually think that that is a little bit more of what he is stating, but it's really awkward English. <laughs> so it's preferable to translate it the other way. Take on me. Now I'm going to do something that you're going to be angry with me about just for the sake of humor, but as I was preparing the sermon, all of a sudden the one-hit wonder aha from the 80s just started playing over and over and over again. So just so you can enter into like my personal hell of imagining Jesus singing, take on me. You know what I mean? Like just, you'll have that about three weeks, but it will remind you of the sermon and Jesus' call to you. But he's saying, take on me, take my yoke upon yourself. As in, be bound to the one who, unlike the Pharisees of the world, Jesus said, would not even move a finger to lift their burden. To be bound to the one that, instead of just lifting or moving his finger, gave his entire life. To remove the crushing weight placed upon our shoulders. Not so that we would receive momentary relief, but receive true and lasting rest. So I want to close because there's also, not only as I see within our society, I have conversations with people after people within our community, burdened by the yoke of the world, but burdened by the yoke that was put on to them by, by their church experience from before being crushed under their weight. 
I'm also using this series at the beginning of our first full year as a worshiping community. Because as we've been praying and thinking through and wrestling with why, why Redeemer? I mean, not why Redeemer as in the general sense of the church, the calling that all churches have. But why Redeemer? Because there are so many churches in our community that are faithfully serving Jesus. That are faithfully proclaiming His gospel. Doing the work that He has for them to do. So why, why here? And there's many different reasons, but the one thing that keeps coming up over and over and over is that he's calling us to be a place of deep healing and true abiding rest for those who are weary, heavy laden from carrying a yoke they cannot bear placed upon them by society, by the church, or a combination of the two. And as we will get into this more deeply as a community, we do this through focusing on creating space to be immersed in Christ. To take him on as our covering. To be immersed in Christ and his gospel of grace so that we can be continually reminded of the gospel through community prayer the proclamation of his word and the ancient rhythms formed around the gospel. So that we all might receive his yoke. And that those who are carrying a yoke they can no longer carry might find a space and a place where that yoke will be replaced with Christ's yoke. A yoke of grace. that in that we will become increasingly aware of what it means to be yoked to Christ by grace. As I have been preparing this sermon this week, thinking about it, an image keeps coming to my mind. It keeps coming to my mind. It's an image of wearing a yoke prepared as a beast of burden to haul another immense load. Trying to grit our teeth to see if we've got the strength to do one more round. And then looking beside me and seeing Jesus attached to the same yoke, And him turning and saying to me, saying to each of you, listen. Just listen. When I cried out with my last breath, it is finished upon that cross. I meant it. And then I get this image in my mind of Jesus saying, look behind you. Did you not notice the cart's empty? It's because I already 
carried every burden. I've already carried every weight. I've already bore the full load. And I've taken it all upon myself. And then look over at you or I and say, it is finished. The burden's gone. Now let's just go for a walk. <laughs> Come, walk with me, and you will find rest. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for upcoming sermons and consider joining us in person for Sunday worship. To learn more, check out our website at franklinredeemer.org. joy of my heart and the boast of my tongue